Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And unfortunately, my co-host Stephen has laryngitis this week. But luckily, I brought in one of our favorite guests to touch base. Well, Astros discussion and joining me is the host of the brand new Astros Future podcast and a longtime regular on our show, Jimmy Price. And Jimmy, it looked like aliens had taken over the Astros for about 10 days this season, but the real guys are back and it's good to see. Yeah, for sure. They started out the season, you know, <laughs> they started the season really on fire and then they just hit a really bad stretch. But yeah, the last four or five games, they've, they've definitely looked a lot better. We're recording this right before Wednesday night's game. And just when things were rolling again, you're not put on the IL because of COVID related stuff. Jimmy, this is real frustrating because you figure everybody is fully vaccinated and yet we're still dealing with this. I guess my frustration is the whole idea of the vaccination was that you wouldn't have to worry about it. And now this is the third time, the third time we've lost Jordan in the last 10 months because of COVID related issues. What I don't understand, and you know, I know the MLB has to be a little bit, um, I guess, not necessarily secretive, but they have a little bit of privacy they have to follow. But you know, when the when the Astros first lost Altuve um, and Bregman and Jordan and all that just a little bit ago, that there was no, no information about how it happened. And then afterwards, we come to find out, okay, Altuve tested positive. But right now, we lose Jordan, and he's the only one out. So did he test positive, or was he around somebody who's positive? And then, like you mentioned, was he? It, it, has he is he fully vaccinated and if, has he had his second shot and if so has he had that time period where um, he's supposed to be you know ninety five percent covered or whatever and and how is uh, how is baseball going to handle that moving forward where they do have somebody who's fully vaccinated but is maybe exposed to somebody who's positive so yeah it's it's frustrating I know they're they're trying to do what they can to keep people healthy keep you know the season going but it's just unfortunate to to lose another you know good hitter like that right in the middle of uh, as it looks like we're starting to play a little bit better. Yeah, you sort of got into it a little bit, and and that's where I'm going to get a little bit frustrated. If this thing goes on throughout the season, we're still testing people all the time because if you're vaccinated, the whole idea is, yeah, you can get sick or somebody else can get sick, but you're not going to get deathly ill. And supposedly the vaccine will cover, you know, maybe people getting COVID period, but also you know, even if they do, it's more like a cold as opposed to, you know, somebody's going to be on their deathbed or something like that. Because if that's the way they're going to operate going forward, we could be doing this for years, Jimmy. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, so I, I wish I wish the MLB would almost come out and say exactly what their game plan is, how they plan on approaching this, because you know, we were kind of left in the open when when Altuve and uh, like I said, Bregman and Maldonado and Garcia and Jordan went out. We didn't really know what happened. We didn't know if they if were just exposed, if they were all positive, if they had their second shot. And I know, like I said, I know there's some privacy concerns they got to worry about there, but yeah, they, they have to figure out a game plan of how are we going to do this once we get everybody vaccinated? Are we going to make them sit out if they're just if they happen to be exposed to somebody who's got COVID? Are we going to make them quarantine for the, the 10 days? And yeah, like you said, if that's the case going forward, then we're going to continue dealing with this for, for quite a while. I don't have a lot of real things that are getting on my nerves about any of the particular players and everybody's playing a lot better. But I do want to talk about this because this is big picture stuff. Dusty Baker, he's got some senior moments as a manager. You know, I'm like, Dusty, you're getting up there. What's going on? And, and Jimmy, Steven and I discussed how last year Dusty was doing all these weird things with the lineups and pitching moves. But over the course of the season, 
He seemed to improve. He got the hang of it again or something like that. But this year, we're back to his wacky stuff with Miles Straw leading off games as Miles Straw has been terrible and has no history of being a good hitter. We know he's not better than, you know, seven guys in the lineup. And as we record this Wednesday, he puts Kyle Tucker in the four spot ahead of Yuli and Correa with Jordan out, ahead of Yuli and Correa, the Kyle Tucker that's hitting about 200. And yeah, Kyle Tucker could turn it around, but let's let him turn around before we put him in the cleanup spot. He manages at times like it's the 1990s. Let's let's face it. Yeah, no, I think you, I mean I think you hit that right. He he does have an old school managerial style. I don't I don't know if the idea of putting Straw uh, lead off is you know kind of put him up there behind or in front of good hitters. Hopefully, get him some good pitches to hit. Maybe he gets going. You know, obviously that didn't really work. And he, at this point, he is better suited for the the back end of the lineup. Uh, for Tucker, I do think, and, and I, we can talk about this a little bit later, but I, he's been extremely unlucky, and I do think he's actually swinging the bat pretty well, but. You know, Yuli Gurriel has been the Astros' hottest hitter, and, and yeah, he's down to six. I know Correa was swinging it really well for a little while, and he was leadoff, and the next thing you know, he's down to like six or seven. And it's just, yeah, he's he's got a weird style. He, he really changes the lineup up, obviously. He doesn't, you know, leave guys set in stone in their, in their positions. Um, and it does make you scratch your head sometimes when you see the Astros' lineup card submitted and you have guys bouncing around like that. And it scares me because if you look at the Astros right now, it's not like they're leading the division. I mean, they've got some catching up to do. They're fourth. They, they're going to need every win. The teams in this division have improved over the last couple of years. The Astros may have taken a slight dip with some of the uh, exits and some of the injuries and stuff like that that's happened with the pitching staff. So, you know, each win is going to be a big one, Jimmy. And that's my concern is, you know, they don't have too much of a window left with this team to, to win a championship with, with guys, you know, exiting over the years. Yeah. And, and we're going to have to hope that he's got it right. Cause you know, unless things go you know really, really bad, he's going to be the manager through the remainder of the season for sure. And into the playoffs, if the Astros make the playoffs and I just got to hope that the guys start to turn it around. And I, I thought the beauty of this lineup was that you are seven deep when they're healthy is that it doesn't matter if Kyle Tucker's hitting seventh or if Gurriel's hitting seventh or Correa if they're all swinging well and they're healthy, you have a lineup that's seven deep. So there, there is a little bit of play there. But yeah, you're right. When when you when you end up bringing up somebody like Miles Straw and hitting him lead off when he's really struggling, um, it, it does. Like I said, it makes you kind of scratch your head. And then you see some of the other moves he makes, and you just got to hope that the Astros are you know able to weather that and get some guys going, uh, start scoring some runs a little more consistently, and and then hopefully, you know, like I said, if you get four or five hitters hot, doesn't really matter where they're hitting, you're probably going to be okay. But you know, at this point, he's kind of, it almost feels like he's moving guys around, hoping it'll get them going or something. One of the things that you and your co-host Brian Hamilton on your Astros Future podcast talked about was Kyle Tucker's bad luck at the plate. And you got into a stat called expected batting averages, which kind of gets into exit velo and, you know, maybe what he should be doing with how hard he's hitting the ball and where the ball's going or whatever. The one gripe that I have with you guys as far as that expected batting average, and, and it's kind of my gripe in general with what I've seen with Kyle Tucker over these first couple of years, and I looked at his expected batting average last year, and he actually did a little bit better, a hair better than he did in his real batting average. But I, my issue is when I watch guys like Jose Altuve or Alex Bregman, if you start going over their numbers – their batting average, their OPS, it's better than expected because that's one thing that you learn how to do as a great hitter 
is you learn where to hit the ball where guys aren't. And some guys have that gift and some guys don't. And my concern with Kyle Tucker is you could say it's bad luck, but Tony Gwynn, you know, he didn't hit 99 mile an hour fastballs up through the middle every time. He knew where the defense was. He knew how to combat some of this stuff. He knew how to get base hits. And, and, and that's what Kyle Tucker hasn't shown me a whole lot of in his first three years in baseball. Yeah, and I can I can agree with you on that. But what I will say is, you know, last year I think we can all agree that he had a, a really good season and, and was one of the better players on the Astros team. Well, if you look at what he did last year compared to this year, the exit velocity is the exact same. He's got a higher barrel percentage and a higher hard hit rate. Um, like you mentioned, the expected batting average is 299. He's hitting 182. His expected slugging is 586, and he's only slugging 386. So, you know, he's hitting the ball well. And there is something to be said about placement. But this year, he's actually – last year, he was pulling the ball o- over 50% of the time. This year, it's down to just 29%. And he's actually hitting it to opposite field 27%, which is about 10% higher than last year. So I, I think there's a little bit there about him trying to, to, to you know, spread the ball around a little bit more. Um, but, man, I just – I feel like if you watch the games, you just see him crushing balls. And some of them are right into the shift. And, you know, that those are the guys you're going to have to beat because the shift's always going to be there. But then some of them are – you know, deep drives to center field that are getting, you know, ca- uh, you know, caught or low sinking liners that are being caught by the right fielder and stuff. And I, I, I think it's going to turn around. I, I think he's he's had a really, really sh- bad string of luck, even if, you know, even with the shift being ha- as good as it is, whatever. I don't think someone would, would be hitting as bad as he is right now. You know, will it get up to that expected batting average of almost 300? Maybe not. But if he if he hits 260, 270, the Astros are in a lot better spot. So I think he's going to turn it around. Um, he does have some adjustments to make, especially beating the shift, because they're going to continue to do that. But the batted ball profile, he's he's hitting the ball hard. And I feel like, you know, that's at least something we can say for sure is he, he's squaring the ball up. He doesn't look completely lost at the plate where he's striking out a ton. He's hitting the ball hard. He's just he's got to start getting a little bit better luck. Yeah, the big irony is that, you know, his moniker was uh, Ted coming up, the the Ted Williams <laughs> moniker. And Ted, you know, he had the shift against him when, when he was playing, but not like the shifts that you see today and not anywhere as consistently as you see them today. And I don't know if it would have worked real well for Ted Williams to just try to beat that shift with, you know, just 100 mile an hour baseballs coming off his bat you know you got to find the holes and stuff like that we'll we'll see what happens Um, let me ask you about Kent Emanuel because that story I think shook up everybody with the Astros who is this guy and he is now the only pitcher for the Astros that is pitched from the first inning to the ninth inning in a game this year so let me ask you you've got your sharp eye on the Astros farm system and you've seen this guy develop over the years. The numbers haven't looked great. How realistic is it that he can keep doing this? I know he's not going to be starting this next start in place of uh, Odorizzi, but he might be starting a couple of games here again before, hopefully, Framber Valdez comes back. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, obviously, I don't think you're going to expect eight and two-thirds innings and two earned runs every time he takes the mound, but you know, he was a third-round pick way back in 2013, um, had a good college career at North Carolina. I remember him pitching there, and, and I remember him being – it almost felt like he was being abused. I remember him throwing starts where he was you know, throwing 130, 150 pitches. We came into the Astros system and had a couple decent seasons. The Astros you know, did a little bit, little bit of the piggyback, and he, he kind of pitched a little bit more in relief. Well, all of a sudden in 2019, 
things started to turn around for him a little bit. And he was in AAA in a hitter's paradise in Round Rock, but actually ended up with like a 3.90 ERA and pitched well. And then obviously he lost the 2020 season, just like all the other players did due to COVID or the minor league players. Um, but he did pitch in, in some some winter league ball and had really good success there. He went into spring training this year, had a really good spring training, and then he went and pitched in a couple of exhibition games against Round Rock at the alternate site and pitched well there. So I think he's a guy that has, has had the talent, is which is evident by him being drafted in the third round, and it's just taken him a while to get there. Um, I don't think you're going to be expecting a, a number one or number two starter, but I do think he's a guy who can eat some innings and get some hitters out and, and give the Astros quality innings in replace of you know guys like Odorizzi or until Framber gets healthy. Um, or if they decide they'd rather, rather roll with him than you know Luis Garcia, which it sounds like the reason they're going with Garcia is they wanted Emmanuel to be available against a bunch of lefties in the next series. So um, I think he's a guy who, who's going to stick around and continue to get major league hitters out and, and hopefully just continue to eat innings for the Astros. Luis Garcia, really quietly, you mentioned his name. He's so quietly had a lot of really good outings. I mean, if you look at his numbers, both last year and this year combined, if you combine both of them to, together, it's a 1.098 whip at this point, And his ERA is 2.96. Uh, does this look realistic when you watch him out on the mound? Do you think this is something that he can continue doing and continue being the sort of go between between fifth starter and, and maybe sort of a middle inning guy? Yeah, I do. He actually had, you know, he, he pitched well in the minors. He was Kind of an unknown because he came over to the, the you know the United States as is an older prospect for someone who was signed international free agents. Well, he ended up striking out 168 in 108 innings back in 2019, 2020. He got a little bit of time with the Astros when they just needed another arm. But if 2020 he had a normal minor league season, he would have been 23 years old pitching in Double AA, A, Triple A, and probably pushing some kind of top hundred prospects if he would have kept those kind of numbers up. You know, and then the Astros this year, they're using him. He's pitched a couple short relief outings, a couple long relief outings, and then he's, he started a couple games too. So I do think it's realistic for him to continue to to put up good numbers like that. He's shown the ability to get, you know, guys out at the major league level, and he's dominated in the minor league level at times. So he's a guy, actually, on my the last podcast I mentioned, I want to see more of him because he's he's pitched pretty well this far, and he's pitched well in relief, and then he had a good start. I know they brought him in the other day and he gave up a solo homer and an inning in two thirds, but he's a guy that I'm excited to see. And with the way the rotation is kind of folding out, especially if Framber comes back uh, sooner than expected, which appear, it appears he's uh, above uh, above what, what they thought initially. Um, he's a guy that I hope we can see in the bullpen consistently, maybe pitching one or two innings and can see if he can really maximize his stuff to, to hit, get hitters out. Because, you know, I, I know we'll probably talk about it, but the bullpen has been, it's been a question so far this year. Yeah, it, it's really concerning now because they just put Pedro Baez on the 60-day IL with the shoulder problems. Unfortunately, Click had two moves that were pretty big in the offseason, the Odorizzi move and the uh, Baez move, and both of them are going through some injury battles right now. What do you do about the bullpen here? Because I, I'm, I'm super concerned about what I've seen from Joe Smith and Brooks Raley, and, and those are guys that you wouldn't consider power arms back of the bullpen guys. Now, hopefully we're, we're getting close, maybe uh, two, three weeks away from somebody like Paredes coming back, but I, I don't know what he's going to have. You don't know what, you know, he really is yet. He's only pitched one year. I mean, he showed great stuff, but we're going to have to see some consistency from him. H how concerned are you about this bullpen going forward? That, that to me is the big concern right now with the Astros ball club. 
Yeah, I'm, I agree with you right there, 100%. Uh, I think you got Ryan Presley, who's been solid. You got Ryan Stanek, who's been a, a great pickup. And then after that, you're, you're kind of left wondering who can you count on to get a guy out, you know, or, or pitch a clean inning in the seventh inning. And Brian Abreu has had some really good outings, and he's had some really bad outings. As you mentioned, Joe Smith has really struggled. Brooks Raley has had some some really bad outings. Um, he does have 13 strikeouts in 10 innings, and he did pitch well the other night. But, you know, he, I think you're going to end up having to rely on somebody like a Luis Garcia or hope that Brian Abreu takes that next step and, and can end up being a consistent reliever. And hopefully Paredes comes back soon and, and can, you know, uh, replicate the success he had in, in 2020. If not, you know, you might be turning to the minors, and maybe uh, we saw Peter Solomon come up already. Maybe you're looking for a guy like uh, a Tyler Ivy to come up, who can maybe get some guys out in the, in the you know, in the in the bullpen. And I, I just think that the Astros are really going to see a lot of rotating arms in the bullpen outside of the the Presley and the Stanek and probably the Abreu, trying to find the right you know the right mixture, the right guys that they can count on. And you know, with Rayleigh struggling and then Blake Taylor struggling and going on the IL, that's just another another open door for Ken Emanuel. If he can prove he can continue to get left-handed hitters out you know, he'll be able to carve out a role in the bullpen as well. We all love Lance McCullers, the person, but I want to know from you, what did you think when they signed him to that contract, knowing the issues that he's had staying healthy and going deep into ball games? The The initial thought was, you know, he hasn't pitched more than 128 innings in a season. Um, he's in his 27 year old season. But I know some of those issues were with the the lingering elbow issues that that made him miss some time. He ended up getting the Tommy John surgery. Now he's past that. So my hope is that now we can start to see him go deeper into ball games and, and maybe stay healthy and and be that ace that we want. When he's been healthy, he's been phenomenal. I think he's been a really good pitcher. He's stepped up in big games. But you know, with the way contracts are going, five years, eighty five million for a guy who's in his age twenty seven season that has the makings of uh, an ace and has shown that he can be dominant out there. Probably not a, a terrible deal. I mean, when you look at some of the deals that are, that are getting tossed around there, I think it's a high upside deal. If McCullers ends up being what we all think he can be and he stays healthy and he pitches well, 585 is nothing for him, right? If he ends up struggling and, and you know, is a three or four starter, and, you know, I mean, because like right now he's got a 4.58 ERA, but he's had like some up and down starts, some really good ones, some not so good ones. If he ends up getting his ERA under four, five years, 85 million is still a solid deal for a guy who's probably like a number three starter. But it could be a heck of a deal if he ends up pitching like we expect and pitching like we've seen him do earlier in his career. So I just hope that he, he you know, he gets back to where he was early in his career, where he was getting guys out. Um, and then that the injuries are behind him now, now that he's gotten that Tommy John surgery out of the way. So it looks like we're going to have some minor league baseball in Sugarland in the not too distant future. When, when do those games start and how soon are you going to be out there trying to see some Sugarland Skeeters games? Double A, high A and low A start May 4th. Triple A starts May 6th. So definitely in May. <laughs> I will be taking a trip down to Corpus. I already kind of got it planned out, actually. I'll, I'll be taking a drive over to Sugarland. It's 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 you know right right in our backyard at this point. So I'm super excited. It you know last year not having a minor league season to follow. I mean it was unfortunate. Like as a fan of minor league baseball, it sucked to, to not have a season to follow. But you really felt for a lot of the prospects that were maybe on the cusp of having a breakout season or had a good 2019 and were ready to to capitalize on that and, and be better in 2020 and start moving up the ranks. And, and they lost that time, you know? So yeah, I'm super excited to have the minor league season back and, 
and uh, just ready to ready to get out, watch some minor league baseball, see some highlights, see some numbers from some of the prospects that we haven't got to to see play in you know over a year and a half. Who are you looking forward to see out there? Tyler Ivy for sure. He's, he's it looks like he's going to be starting in AAA. Um, he's been dominant since the Astros drafted him. He's had really really good numbers. He struggled with a little bit of injuries in 2019. Um, I had him on my podcast actually a couple weeks ago, and we talked about that. Um, he's feeling healthy. He added a changeup this offseason, uh, has a good fastball, good curveball. Like I said, just, just really dominant numbers, pitched well in spring, pitched really well in the exhibitions against Round Rock, had two five-inning uh, five scoreless outings. So he's a guy that I'm, I'm hoping can go into AAA, go into Sugar Land, have some good outings, and then be one of the first guys called up if the Astros need another starter. But, you know, outside of him, I was looking at some other guys and you got Pedro Leon, right? Everyone's, everyone wants to see what he's going to do. He was rumored to the Astros for what felt like a long time. They finally signed him. It looks like he's going to start in double A. Um, and then that's, you know, that's, that's going to be, he could end up being the top position player prospect in, in the Astros system. Um, now that, you know, Jeremy Pena is going to lose this season to, to wrist surgery. And uh, one other guy, I'll just say Corey Lee, first round pick a couple of years ago, was really good following the draft and then and then missed the season last year, obviously, because of COVID. So he's another guy that if you can get if you can get some hitting out of a catcher and it feels like the Astros, have, it's been a long time since we've had a young catcher come up. I mean, really, since Jason Castro, you know, and if we can get him, get him moving and get him hitting the ball and, and he can end up forcing his way onto the roster, not necessarily this year, but maybe here in the near future, that's going to be really big for this club. Do you know if Corey Lee's going to start with Sugarland? I think he's going to start in high A. Actually, I, I, I can I can double check. I think it's high A. Uh, but you know, like I said, he he pitched in Tri City following the draft, which is basically where all the college draft players go, and then missed last year where he probably would have been in low A. So, and he was drafted at twenty, so he's only twenty two this year. So, I, I think it's high A. But at this point, it's it's also hard to see how aggressive are the Astros going to be with these guys because you know Pedro Leon, for instance, is starting in Double A, but if he goes crazy for three weeks, do the Astros move him up to AAA? And then if so, and he hits there, do they say, screw it, let's go ahead and bring him up to the majors and let him start in center field? So Corey Lee may start in high A, but I mean, it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't surprise me if he had a couple strong weeks and is getting moved up to, to double A or the next level. Yeah, because I was thinking if you get Corey Lee up to AAA this year and you could maybe even bring him out, I mean, that's the advantage. You could bring him out to Minute Maid Park and have conversations with Jason Castro and Maldonado. I mean, th- those guys, you know, big veterans, longtime veterans, uh, know their stuff, know their ins and outs of, of defense and pitch calling and all that stuff. And, you know, obviously having a guy like Brent Strom that could help him with stuff like that as well. It seems like that would help a lot, right? Yeah, I, w- I would think so. And, and he probably got some time in spring training. Well, probably. I, I don't remember if he was there for some of the spring or just the alternate site. But I know he's probably going to get time in the future to, to spend some time with the guys like Maldonado and and hopefully Jason Castro and Brent Strom and learn from those guys. But at this point, you almost got to think, despite having that missed season, he was just drafted, you know, less than two years ago. So I know the Astros aren't going to want to be in a hurry to her, you know, rush him up to the majors um, just to get him that time, especially if he, you know, if he starts out hitting the ball, they're going to want to you know take their time with him. He, he's he's one of the top position player prospects the Astros have. So I think they'll take their time with them and move them up when they feel is is right. Um, like I said, he's, he's only going to be 22 years old this year, so you know he's still got he's still got another year or two before you can probably expect him to be in the pros contributing. Tell me about your new podcast and where people can find it and what you guys are, are doing over there. Yeah, so we started a podcast, uh, me and uh, Brian Hamilton, a good friend of mine, just talking about the Astros, talking about minor league prospects and things like that. We started it probably about uh, late March, so we're on like five episodes at this point. We do an episode a week. We release them on Monday morning. 
so far we we talked a lot about the Astros and and tried to get some prospect talk in there. But with minor league you know baseball kicking off next week, we're really excited to to really start talking uh, prospects and start talking about how they're performing and stuff like that, and kind of really bring that to the Astros fan because I know that that's a thing that. Um, you know, I try to do my best sharing on Twitter and on the articles and stuff, but you know, there's a lot of podcasts talking about the Astros, but not so much maybe talking about the prospects. So my hope is that we can provide that content while still talking about the Astros as well. Um, and this Sunday, our plan is to have a nice, you know, minor league preview podcast where we really take a deep dive into the system, look at players to watch at each level, breakout prospects. We're hoping to have Jim Callis on to, to have his thoughts on the Astros system and stuff. So Hopefully that's where we'll go moving forward. And it's always posted on, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, Astros Future Podcast, but also on my website, AstrosFuture.com. Last question I wanted to ask you, because I, I haven't heard much about this and maybe I missed this news. Do you have any idea when we should see Josh James and Austin Pruitt start throwing baseballs again? Is that going to happen pretty soon? Because those are some arms that maybe they could use with uh, all the injuries and the issues that they're having right now. You know, I, I really don't have any kind of update on them. And that's it, it feels like, you know, the way things have gone last year and this year, it feels like there's a, a lack of information when it comes to guys going on the IEL in, in, in terms of rehab. And it felt like the same thing with Fran Valdez, where we they it almost like they struggled to give us a timeline. And even at this point, we don't really know what the timeline is. It looks like he's ahead of schedule, but we still don't really know what a realistic timeline is. So, yeah, that's a good point. The Astros do have some some guys who have major league experience and, and can come up and help and, and James and Pruitt. Um, and, I, but I don't really know what their timeline's looking like. And at this point, they're going to have to find a way to make it work kind of with what they got or with, you know, calling up some of these prospects from AAA. Do you feel like the philosophy has changed about how they're giving out information compared to Luno? Cause Luno was always real secretive, but it just seems like we, we're not getting timelines necessarily with return. And I guess maybe because a lot of the regular beat guys aren't there and, and intermixing with everybody in the clubhouse, like they used to where that sort of stuff would come up. And A.J. Hinch was always, you know, he was very open about a lot of this kind of information. And I, I don't know if, if Dusty would be the same way, but you don't have that interaction that you would on, on a day-to-day basis. For sure. No, that's a, that's a really good point. You know, their, their interaction with the players and the, the manager and stuff is over the, the little Skype calls or Zoom calls or however they're doing it, you know, rather than being in the, in the, the, uh, in the dugout or in the clubhouse and able to ask questions, you know, even kind of quote-unquote off the record, to try to get a little bit more information. So, yeah, I think there is a lack of information. I think, you know, I think the Ast- there, there's a benefit too on, on the Astros side to not have all that information out there. And, you know, I'm sure they got timelines in their head, but they felt maybe it's not necessary to share it with the general public and we'll continue doing what we're doing. Um, but yeah, it, it is, it makes it really interesting as a fan uh, to sit here and wonder, you know, like, Framber Valdez goes out and then I think somebody tweeted that he was going to miss the entire season. And then somebody else says, no, that's not the case. And now we're not even out of April and we're hearing that he's throwing off a mound or something and about to face some hitters and he's way ahead of schedule. So that that's a guy that I, I think, I mean, if we get him back and you can push another guy in, into the bullpen, you know, I, I really think the rotation can really start to look a lot better. Yeah, well, the guys that you're going to be pushing in the bullpen, the guys that we didn't even figure we'd be worried about would be the Kent Emanuels and the mm-hmm. <laughs> and the Luis Garcias uh, because Odorizzi right now is a, is a question mark right. too. We're kind of waiting to see what's going to happen with it. looks like it's not going to be long, but, man, these forearm strains, Jimmy, I mean, they seem to last a lot longer than you would think they would. Yeah, when I when I saw the forearm strain, I was I was concerned. And I know afterwards he said that it wasn't near as bad as he thought and they did MRI and he said – 
you know, after his 10 days, I think he said he hopes to be back, you know, right after his 10 days. But yeah, no, that was that was definitely concerning. And and I was really excited about the signing of Odorizzi. I thought he could come in with Brent Strom and um, and w- what we're doing here and, and be a quality, you know, fourth or fifth starter for us. Um, his first few outings were not very good, but hopefully he comes back after the 10 days and, and is and is back on it. But yeah, you, you never know when that forearm strain is going to pop back up. And it, it usually seems like it's never a good sign when a pitcher goes out with something like that. You know, it's weird. I, I kind of think the fact that AAA got pushed back a month really hurt the Astros because Odorizzi, they might have just said, hey, go pitch a couple of AAA games, get warmed up a little bit, and, you know, we'll we'll throw in somebody stopgap or, you know, there's going to be some days off early on. But instead, Odorizzi doesn't get the ramp up because, remember, they didn't sign him till what, halfway through March or something like that? I think he pitched a couple like exhibition games against Round Rock, but you're right. I think if, if the AAA season was full blast, I think he would have gone down there and, you know, been on a regular schedule and, uh, you know, pitched just like he was in a rotation and, and it would have been a different feeling. They probably could have got him more than two exhibition stars, which maybe would have helped him out, helped the Astros out. You know, their hands are kind of forced. AAA gets pushed back. He goes ahead and pitches in the two exhibition games that they get against Round Rock and that's it. So now what do you do with them? Do you do simulated games or? You know, do you feel comfortable going and bringing them up? And they felt most, you know, they felt comfortable giving them a chance. And uh, unfortunately, it hasn't worked out so far. Hopefully he comes back from this and is and is what we expect of him. Because like we talked about, Framber, you know, added to this this rotation. But man, if Oda Rizzi it turns into a quality starter and now, now you got Grinky and McCullers and Framber and Christian Javier and Oda Rizzi, you know, as a, as a nice five. And then you have guys on the outside that we've already seen can contribute and can get guys out and a Ken Emanuel and Luis Garcia, Jose or Kitty. And, and, you know, now you've got more than more than enough options to try to, to try to, you know, get your five starters or a six man rotation, however they plan on doing it. Yeah. I just want all those quivers in the, in, in, in the ready and being able to start shooting all of our arrows at the other team. It's, it's getting tiring having all these big guys out, whether it's Jordan or Fromber or, you know, last year it was Jordan the whole season and no Verlander. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's just like, it just seems like it's gone on and on and on in the other sports. It's not like we're losing guys because of injuries. We're losing guys because they say they want to get out of town. <laughs> but with the Astros, it's just like, come on, let's let's see these guys play. Yeah, no, it it it, it feels like the yeah the Astros haven't been at full health for a while, and and you know you, you just want to see what can this team do when the, the the pitching staff is fully healthy and the lineup's fully healthy, and we can see that you know and not for not for five days or seven days, or we can see that for a month or two and see what the Astros can really start to do. Well, it's been great, and I'm looking forward to seeing some of these guys come back and hopefully some more Astros win. Hopefully they can keep up the momentum. Uh, You and I are talking the Wednesday night game is going on as we speak, so we'll see what happens with that. But uh, thanks so much for doing this, Jimmy. Always good to catch up with you. Yeah, man, I appreciate you having me on. The podcast is Astros Future. Uh, Go check it out. Great stuff. Him and Brian Hamilton hosting over there. Uh, We'll be back with me and Steven next week. Steven should be over his laryngitis hopefully fingers crossed get him off the il as well you can reach us on twitter facebook or email info at houstonsportstalk.net that's info at houstonsportstalk.net stay healthy and safe everybody you're listening to houston sports talk don't forget to follow houston sports talk on facebook and twitter subscribe to us on itunes spotify the google podcast app or the stitcher app You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.